Welcome to the Dark Zone, an event racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatins. In event racing lingo, a dark zone is a time when due to darkness or safety, teams are paused on the course before continuing with the race. During that time, stories are exchanged, friendships are kindled, spirits are restored, and teams have a chance to prepare for the next challenge. We hope that you make good use of this dark zone. We're glad that you're here. Welcome to a flash edition of the Dark Zone, an event racing podcast. It is April 27th, 2022. We are joined by Rootstock Racing, who are just a few days post their victory at the Shenandoah Epic, right here in Virginia in the United States. Joel Ford, Karen Delaney, and Paul Miller, all veteran racers, joined forces for the overall victory. We are proud that they joined us for this quick, published edition of The Dark Zone. Sit back and relax and enjoy hearing all about their highs, their lows, how they work together as a team, and of course, as always, their advice for newer racers. Be safe out there and enjoy this episode of The Dark Zone. Welcome to The Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatins. Uh, I am joined by Karen Delaney, Joel Ford, and Paul Miller of Team Rootstock Racing. Uh, they are three days uh, post-winning the Shenandoah Epic of 2022. We're attempting to get this podcast out as soon as possible after the race. This is the team's first time talking about the race since the race. So this is a live peek into their debriefing, their success. Um, this was a big victory for Rootstock. This is a Rootstock team with a new combination of racers. It's Paul's first time racing with, with Rootstock. And it's the first time that these three racers have raced together. Um, so thank you for coming on the Dark Zone. We appreciate your time and your attention. Um, we really appreciate the fact that you made time on a, on, a, on a work night to sit down and chat. And the goal is to bring your experience to our listeners and give some feedback on how the race went for you. Joel, I want to toss the first question in your direction. Clearly, the race went well. You were the overall champ. You were the champions, not the overall champions, because that was Jesse Spangler and Richard Sparks. But you ended up winning your division, the premier division, which was the three-person co-ed over the course of the race. What did Rootstock do so well? that helped them get to the top of the podium. Uh, thanks for having us, first of all, Brian. And uh, I think Rootstock as a general and us three, we worked really well as a team. And I, I think that's something we always strive for um, and successfully pulled off in this race. Additionally, we knew it was gonna be really hot and uh, we went into this with a strategy. We're not gonna sprint off the whistle we're going to let the teams get away from us we're going to race our own race we're going to pace ourselves we're going to take really good care of ourselves nutritionally especially early it was a hot run up on the ridge and then the paddle was in the the heat of the day uh, so we really just paced ourselves for 24 hours nutritionally hydration we we weren't looking to, to overtake teams at that point our motto was survive the day thrive the night and I'd say we we were surviving all the way up until the final bike. <laughs> we were finally able to cut loose and really push hard. All of our, our stomachs kind of turned inside out for a while there, and uh, as most other teams probably did too. But yeah, I, I think teamwork and uh, overall strategy of uh, nutrition and hydration there was was a big key for this race. For those who are not familiar with Shenandoah Epic, and 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 credit to. Adventure enablers and Mark Harris and Margot Harris, and including the crew at home that did the 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 excellent Facebook updates along the way. The race itself consisted of several stages, where it was a, a trek to get up to the Massanutten Ridge, a trek down off the ridge to a paddle on the Shenandoah River, um, a bike back over the ridge. We want to appreciate thanks the Harris family for putting us up and over that ridge multiple times, to a trek back over the ridge, and then a trek and a bike in the state park down there. Um, big day, hot day. Um, your 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 strategy of survive the day and, and thrive the night clearly worked out well for you. Um, Karen, I wanna to turn to you with the question right now. As you think back on the race itself and as you go through it, recognizing that clearly the team did a really good job managing the heat and the nutrition across the course of the day. Where do you feel of those separate stages that the team went through that they, it was a crux stage. Like you did it so well that your win was almost guaranteed. I'm not so sure that stage existed. <laughs> um, really for most of the race, we weren't sure how we were doing in relation to the other teams. 
there was a lot of back and forth. We saw a lot of the teams out there and we knew we were racing against a lot of very competitive athletes and well put together teams. Um, I think Rootstock always tends to do well on the stages that require tougher navigation. So that fourth stage, Joel and Paul made a wise strategy choice to add a little distance, but skip a big um, climb. And I think that ultimately helped us not only save our legs, but kind of pulled us ahead during that stage. I also think by the time we got to the bikes on sun, yeah, Sunday morning, I feel like we all were starting to feel better and really push that stage hard. And we just had a lot of fun with it. The trails were flowy and I think we all just had a good time being able to put some speed into the biking and instead of pushing the bikes up a big hill and feel like we were moving quickly and getting somewhere. So on that note, and Paul will turn to you for this one, with the, the biking that was involved up and over the Massanutten Ridge, the stage three bike was rather complicated because the, the a large swath of that trail was unrideable for many riders. Stage five coming back over the ridge was a lot more rideable, beach gap and, and things like that. How did your team do going from the paddle onto that bike and getting over to TA3? Did you find a lot of that rideable or was there a lot of hike a bike for you? I've heard teams were all over the course on that one. Yeah, Brian, I, th I think coming out of TA2, uh, we felt really good. We had taken care of each other and ourselves. We had good calories in us. We were hydrated. We had the right gear. Um, we had a moment where um, we needed to secure a cleat bolt uh, right as we were coming out of TA. And I think we got that cleat bolt replaced in under two minutes. It was the fastest mechanical um, I've seen a team manage. So um, that kind of set us off on a, on a quick bike down along the river. And then we rode... Um, pretty consistently. I think the challenge of that leg was the, the heat and the nutrition strategy really needed to change. Um, we needed to go from solid foods to more liquid. And uh, that, that's where my stomach started to turn was on the hot pavement, going up the hill, um, pushing hard, but not fast. And uh, the hike a bike really started for us probably within say 800 feet of the summit. And there was it, was, it was back and forth. You could ride a bit, then you'd have to hike a bit, you could ride a bit. And then the last 300 feet was all just pushing. Did you find, and, and this question's up for anybody who wants to answer it, did you find being at the pointy end of the race is interesting because while you see the other teams during the race, it's not like when you're in the, a mid-pack racer where, where my team clearly was, that being around other people gives you a sense of your overall performance. Did it get lonely out there or did you see the other teams enough that you had a sense of your success? I think we saw, we, we knew we were out front, Untamed uh, beat us into that transition and we saw them at the top of the ridge getting that checkpoint. We saw them the whole time on the water, we were right behind them. So we had an understanding of where we were then, I believe. Uh, we knew Spangler was going to be way out front. We weren't really competing with him. Um, but Untamed at that point was uh, kind of our, our leapfrog that we were aiming for. And just a, a quick backtrack to Paul's point of that cleat bolt. We came out of that transition on the bikes and, and Karen was saying, I, I, my foot's not clipping and my foot's not clipping in. We didn't even make it out of the parking lot. And, uh, and we said, okay, let's stop, look at this. And Karen quickly identified that her, her cleat was turned. And I said, Karen, lay on your back. And we realized one of her, her bolts was completely out. She was laying on her back on the ground with her feet up in the air. And Paul, for some reason, is carrying around two cleat bolts in his pack. I've never, never been with someone who does that, but that was exactly what we needed at that time. So he said, I got the bolts. You get the multi-tool. Karen laid on her back. We popped that bolt in there, tightened all four of them down. So and we were her, off. And it was, you know, a huge game changer. Imagine going on that race with one shoe in and one shoe out. Or so her shoes didn't even come off. It was literally like it, it oh, was yeah. like she was yep. flat on her back. Yeah, like Paul said, yeah. it was probably two minutes. We were a pit crew in and out of there. So that was the so that so it's let the record show that Karen took a rest, leaving TA laying down for a little while. Let the record <laughs> show, right? Good job, Karen. Way to go on that. Um psychologically speaking, you're on the water, you're behind untamed, you know they're fast, you know they're strong right? Do you, did you even talk about their performance in relation to yours or did you just let them go run their own race? I think a primary part of our strategy was to not um, focus on those other teams. We could see that we were within contact 
and that contact changed throughout the paddle, but we could we could see him in front of us. So I wasn't worried. Um, we we kept reaffirming to each other, let's make sure we're eating, let's make sure we're drinking, let's always make sure two people are paddling. How's everybody doing? Um, we never pushed the pace outside of what our team could maintain on the water. It was it was all about recovery on the paddle. Gotcha. And that's a huge point to make. And and a large part of the dark zone is focused towards the beginner racer. And we talk a lot about how adventure racing is terrible when it comes to trying to know where you are in relation to other teams. You don't know who missed a checkpoint. You don't know who's ahead of you or behind you. And so the trick is to stay inside your own race the entire time and not get pulled down because with untamed leaving before you, right, being in that TA and being for anyone on the water, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that they're ahead of us. We have to hurry up, but you've raced enough individually and we'll come to a second about your dynamic is three new teammates racing together that you knew you just had to let them go and that there was a lot of the race course ahead of you. Am I, am I capturing your thought there correctly? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think being three paddlers in a canoe, I, I personally was hoping that maybe we, we would gain on them, um, but instead we took on a lot of water and twice we had to pull off and just dump all the water out of our canoe. Um, so I think in that we had to let go and had to just say race our own race let's take care of each other um and again having the three enabled us to have one person sit out for a minute to drink water or eat something while the other people paddled so that strategy i think worked well for us on a hot day yeah and and credit to to uh, adventure enablers for recognizing that the heat was going to be the heat the tas were filled with water and they had snacks at ta3 so you know as we see time and time again good race direction goes a long way in helping the race go really well. I was behind you. I was more, I was definitely more mid pack when we came over the ridge the first time and got into TA three, TA three had the, had the vibe of a field hospital. Like people were just blown all over the place. You were already out on four, which was the, the track. And we'll talk about that track in a second. Um, but to their credit, Mark and Margo got way ahead of, of the, the amount of water that was on the course was very, very important because that was, and ironically enough, it really wasn't that hot, but it felt a lot hotter because it was the first hot day of the year for a lot of us. When did you find that the the heat began to impact you? Was it the stage three getting up to the ridge or did it come later on in the race for you? Uh, for me personally, I think it was going into like early on in stage four. Um, my stomach turned upside down, probably going up to... Uh, Checkpoint 11 was a, a kind of big off-trail hike up a, a ridge there. And we all kind of struggled a little bit there. Karen's feet were hurting. Paul was starting to get a little behind on, on his stomach as well. And um, for me personally, it was probably that entire rest of that leg, maybe another four or five, six hours that I was just nibbling a single cheese it and washing it down with a, a mouthful of water and one single Sour Patch Kid and uh, you know a nibble of this and that and every every single one felt like a, a vomit coming and uh, kept it all down and, and just kept on taking it one step at a time and um, you know again for those beginner racers we're we're not running this we we just walked that entire section just solid nav good teamwork kept each other moving accurate short distances and um, we just power walked that whole thing. Well, let me ask that question. So, because for the beginner racer out there and for the mid-pack racer, in terms of pace and speed, like, did you run that first trek up and over the mountain? Did you run any of that trek? Or was that just a steady, you jog the flats and you fast hike the hills and you ran downhill? Like, what was your, what was your speed strategy like for that part of the race? So we all came in with um, nagging knee injuries and we weren't sure how they were going to, um, how they were going to sustain through the race. So on that first trek, uh, Karen wisely slowed us down a couple times on descents because there's a lot of adrenaline going and you want to, you want to stay in contact. And I think it was that wisdom that resulted in, uh, from what I understand, none of our knees hurt, uh, the entire race. So it was the best my legs felt in two months was during the, the epic. Um, so we were, power walking a fair amount up. We were jogging on the flats. Um, as, a, as a new member of Rootstock, what I was most impressed by was the speed of that first transition. Uh, we talked about it before we came in. Um, Joel led that, that conversation, uh, basically said, 
you know, Paul, you helped me with the boat, Karen, do the punch, get the bag. Uh, and I think we were in and out of that transition, again, under two minutes. It was, uh, th that was shocking to me. And that's when I knew the, the race was, um, I was racing with some experts. Well, that's the point. Like, if you if you if you're in a, uh, if you're in a twelve hour race and you waste five minutes of transition, you leave an hour of race time on the course. That's two hours of it. So you could leave two hours of a twenty four hour race if you waste five minutes per hour. So, you're 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 spot on about that. Um, so it was good. It was good to hear that you your strategy worked. That the running wasn't that major, and then you were fast hiking for. Who was your lead navigator? Who had the map in the hand the most? I think me and Paul probably split it right up the middle. That was, and it wasn't like a discussion like you take leg four, I'll take leg five. It was from one point to the next. I was dropping off, feeling really bad, and he would just seamlessly take over, and vice versa. When he was down, I was up. Uh, luckily, neither of us were really struggling. At the same time, Karen was pulling a lot of weight. She was carrying some bags, pushing some bikes for us. Um, so there was a a few times where we were communicating over the the same points a lot of times we would talk about just just reaffirm with each other this is uh this is what i think for this point what do you think where are we at what's our elevation for this um but i think it was a pretty seamless co-navigation there 50 50. which is always challenging right because navigation by committee things begin to fall apart but in a three-person dynamic with maps in two hands it's not as it's not like a four-person team where it gets really sticky and and because you weren't necessarily running through that part of the race, you were able to pause, look at the map, and adrenaline didn't get in the way of decision-making, it sounds like. Yeah, and to our credit, we also raced the Winter Wildcat together, Latanzi's uh, uh, Rogaine race, which is a two-day, 14 hours one day, 10 hours the other day. So we had a lot of experience doing this same dynamic of co-navigating. We also raced the Rootstock Crooked Compass together with Jim Driscoll a while back. So we do have some time splitting the, the maps in that case, and uh, we picked right up where we left off. So Karen, coming over to you, they mentioned there that you were helping with bikes and bags. How much of the equipment was shared between the racers during the course of the race? Did Was there gear being passed back and forth? What was your role there, Karen? Um, I think from the start, both Paul and Joel were carrying a little bit extra in terms of like the first aid kit, bike maintenance stuff. Um, I, there was a couple of times I just helped carry an extra pack if somebody wasn't feeling their best. Um, I figured it was easier to, to help everybody out. I was feeling pretty good up a lot of the hills. Um, so I felt it was worthwhile taking an extra pack to make the team move more efficiently. So coming back to the beginner racer, and that's an important point, people very often, especially when they start racing, they feel as if their gear is their gear and that the trading of the gear back and forth is hard. And especially it's it's misperceived as a sign of weakness or that you're falling apart if you have to give someone your pack. How long did you carry those packs for, Karen? Was it up a hill? Was it for a period of time? I think and the reason I bring it up is I want the new racer to hear that the sharing of those packs is a common thing in adventure racing. Can I defer this question to Joel or Paul? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I, I'd say Karen carried uh, at least one of our packs up a thousand feet of, of climb in two different times. One, uh, Paul was really low going up Beach Gap. She carried his pack during the hike a bike, probably four or 500 feet there. And then a, a good section of, uh, Leg four, we all traded the punch around. I, I think all three of us spent time with the, the punch and you know everyone's carrying your maps and you get to the point where you can see the checkpoint and then one sucker always has to run down there and climb down into the re-entrant and punch it. And we all took turns with that, that duty um, and let the other people take a, a bathroom break or get some extra food in or look at the maps. And so it was good, we shared the responsibilities there. So when did it get really hard? Because no, one, no, one, no one's race is ever easy. To win a race means that you have to endure some challenging. Paul, when did it get really hard? So I think we're all going to have different answers to this. Um, I mentioned leg three is where I started to feel a little bit, little bit off, but leg four, um, which is the big trek for those at home. Leg three, leg three was the bike up and over the ridge. Leg four was the was the the crux trek, so to speak. So go ahead. Yes, yeah, so we were maybe four CPs in. Um, we just got the Richardson knob and we were going up to, uh, help me out here if anyone remembers that the next high point. Checkpoint seven. 
Yeah, so is, is climbing um, at least 800, maybe 1,000 feet, pretty much straight up through cliff bands. And that's when I went into my really, my really dark place. Uh, you know, like it's been said, this is my first time racing with rootstock. Uh, I've been waiting for this opportunity for a while, and uh, I wanted I wanted to pull my weight. I wanted to prove that uh, I was in the right place, racing with the right people. And uh, for for all racers, I know we 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 have those doubts. Um, you know, why am I doing this? Do I belong here? Uh, and I was feeling that really heavy in that moment. And that's when um, Karen turned around and said, "Can I take your pack?" And I, pa I passed it off, and that was of course hard. Um, but that's also when I knew I was racing with the right people because the way Joel and Karen and I'm learning rootstock works is they make it easy to ask for help and receive help. And that is what allows the team to really um, move forward as fast as the team can move. Uh, so it was, it, was, it was definitely middle of like four. And uh, once my stomach turned, I, I did a little post-mortem on my calories. I got 1,200 calories in, in legs one, two, and three. And then the rest of the race, I only got another 800 calories in, which for me is um, really, really low. I was feeling that bad. So I didn't start feeling good again until that final bike leg. Got you. Because by then you could smell the barn. You know, the race is almost done. And to, to the credit to the race directors, the stages six and seven were in the state park down there. Very flowy trails, easy to go through. Karen, what was your low point? My low point occurred pretty early on for me. Um, usually if I hit a low point, it's it's going to be more like the middle of the night or maybe around 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Um, for some reason that I still can't quite figure out, I got really bad hot spots on my big toes, um, pretty much the first leg of the race. And that went on until um, Paul gave me some foot cream. I guess it was on the, on the fourth portion on the on the trek. So I started joking that he was my sugar daddy because he was carrying this foot cream and I couldn't go without it. So that was my motivation to carry his pack was because if we didn't have Paul and I didn't have Paul's pack, I wouldn't have the foot cream. So it's not really about being a good teammate. It's about the foot cream. That's right. There yeah, you go. Absolutely. Good. Whatever it so takes. Whatever it takes. Just, just bringing the right things that your teammate needs. You don't know <laughs> well, you had, you had foot cream in bolts. Welcome to the rootstock. You're good to go. Very That's nice. Right. And so, so after the that cleared up, I was, I felt. I felt decent the rest of the race after that, honestly. Um, I think I pulled through, I think after the eighth or ninth hour, um, I, I started to pull through and felt much better after that point. How'd you do on calories? Uh, I did well. I don't really count them very well. I have this, I have a bad habit of starting with my calories divided in bags. So for newer racers, I find a good strategy to be to take like a bag and put either for that whole leg of the race, the, the calories I want to consume or divide it by hours. So maybe like a six hour bag or a four hour bag, however you want to do the math. Mm -hmm. But my bad habit is that I start to eat a bar or one of those things and I get sick of it or I, I thought I've eaten enough of it. And then I realized that I would have a bunch of half eaten bars by the end. So I'm probably not consuming as many calories as I should. I did make a point to hydrate a lot and do some liquid calories, which I found very helpful. So. Yeah, that's a, I, I've seen a lot, a lot more of that. Um, I'm a big fan of spring energy and spring energy makes the 350 calorie fruit and oatmeal packs. They're almost like, they're almost like baby food packs, but it's 350 calories and it goes right down and it's a great way to replenish because, and, and I agree with you, the, the combination of the heat combined with the need. I mean, it's amazing how inedible that food begins to feel deep into a race, deep into a race. Joel, how about you? Did, did it get tough at all, Joel? Or you just keep bouncing along. Yeah, you know, it, it did. I, I had a pretty low point. My stomach was pretty bad during leg four. And then the, I think I bounced back at one point. I, I let Paul and Karen go the extra 100 feet to the checkpoint. And I sat down on a log and uh, ate a little pack of Sour Patch Kids. And that kind of popped me out. But there was, was probably nine hours where I felt like I couldn't stomach anything. And I knew I had to keep throwing it down. And I eventually climbed out of that hole. And, and I think that's that's one thing to keep in mind and it just comes with experience is that you know when you're at your low you're probably going to come out when you feel like you need to quit just just hang on keep walking rely on your teammates you will come out of that and it eventually happened and, and we got our second wind it took a while for the uh, temperatures to 
cool down and get on the bikes and spin out and get up and over that that ridge and back into the park and uh and we came out of it um but yeah we we all had some good low points in this one it's interesting and adventure races are known for having perspectives so so interesting you said you felt low for nine hours of a 24-hour race off the top of my head that's like 40 percent of the race like you felt you felt like 30 it's like 38 percent. you felt low and yet you kept going which for the for the newer listener we talk a lot about them you know people don't feel good during a 5k a half mile and they want to walk up you went nine hours and not exactly feeling right but you knew because one thing adventure racing right no matter how you feel it's going to pass and that's clearly what you went through there yeah and this was a, a stomach issue it wasn't like i physically could not move forward i i probably couldn't have gone on an all-out sprint um but you know we were able to keep moving rely on just our our body fat stores, I guess, instead of the, the calories you're intaking. And we were just keeping hydration up and uh, yeah, we got through it. And I, and I think that's the, the, the trick there is just to hold on as you go through, right. As you get there. Um, so the bounce back came, you had the, you had the bike back over to the state park stages six and seven were interesting for those who didn't do the race or didn't follow it online. Stages six and seven, six was a trek and seven was a bike. They were inside the same state park with with the, the, the checkpoints being obviously in different places, first on foot and then uh, by bike. Did you end up clearing the entire course? You want to take this, Paul? Yes. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we weren't so sure it was going to happen. Um, and stage four felt really good, and we knew we came out. Uh, really efficiently. Uh, the stage five, we didn't feel like we lost any time. And then stage six, uh, the state park is quite complicated. There are trails that are not on the map that are in the right place and are the wrong trail. And uh, specifically, we had a probably our biggest bobble of the race was going from six eight to six seven and got pulled on a trail that wasn't the one we thought it was. And we, we had to use uh, the, the age-old nav skill of basically taking a safety bearing and hiking it until we got to a known feature. And uh, we had a couple lucky points on this on this course. And one of those was uh, we lucked into the CP. So uh, we did clear the course. We weren't sure we were going to do that until probably halfway through the, uh, the final bike leg. And the bike leg was interesting because you had to do the bike points in order. Yeah, and like, like someone said, we just had a blast on that leg. Those trails are, are excellent. The, the bike legs that were chosen allowed a little bit of navigational creativity, but not a lot. Uh, and it was, it was fast, it was flowy. I was grinning ear to ear, and we just had a blast. Yeah, it was funny. When you, when you were out there doing that, my team decided to wait until daylight, so we were taking a nap by the fire back in transition. So while, while you won the race, we kind of won a little bit too because we got to lay down by the warm solo stove and have the Girl Scout cookies. Yes, Joel. Yeah, so positionally coming off of leg four, we had seen uh, untamed invert. We were, we were kind of neck and neck with them towards the beginning. We got back to transition and the volunteer confirmed that neither of them had come back yet. And Odyssey was there at the same time as us. So we had with the kind of the front teams that we thought we were competing with uh, for the co-ed division, we pretty much knew where we stood and leg five was relatively linear so then going into uh the orienteering sections six and seven we knew we were pretty much tied with odyssey going into that and we leapfrogged we literally walked to the same checkpoints with them for a couple of times and we got back to the transition for seven at the exact same time as them and then we got out of transition first going into to leg seven, which was all linear. You had to get all the, the right. checkpoints in order. So we were hauling butt as fast well, as we could well, go. At, at that point, after 18, 19 hours of racing, more than that, it literally came down to a foot, a foot race, a bike race between the two teams because you had to do those in order and you saw each other going into that. Yes, Karen. That is like my nightmare. I... I am convinced I am this horrible cyclist and I pretty much dread the cycling portions because I'm just so scared I'm going to hold the team back. And to know that the course was ending 
on a cycling leg and then to have it come down to this like we had to race a really strong team um, I was pretty scared so it turned out that my new bike that I recently got was a lot faster than my old one and a lot more comfortable to ride and it just made that last portion so fun and that was just a relief in so many ways for me um, not just for the race but just to feel that I was actually biking strong um, and that I could keep up with others so it was a pretty pretty solid way to end the race for me it was one of those things where psychologically you between the, the fatigue of the race and you know when fatigue goes up sometimes your fear inhibition goes down right you make decisions deep into a race you would make earlier the fact that the adrenaline was flowing and you were near the end did you just grab onto a wheel and just stay behind somebody and just basically say to yourself if they could do that i could do that and you just hung with them she was, the front. she was at the front she was drilling it <laughs> she was pulling us <laughs> she's just being humble she's crushing it you two are sitting there shaking your head saying she was she was putting you in the she's putting you in the gutter killing you not they, on the downhill certainly nice. paul was kind enough to slow down so i could follow him <laughs> so when you when you when you capture your race and you, and you take the deep breath what do you think what did you do best as a team as a as a as a new composition, Paul, you being new to rootstock and recognizing this first time the three you raced together, where did you really get it right? Like when you when you think about it, you debrief it, what box do you check there? You want to take a pause, the new guy? What did you think? The word that's coming to me is is humility. So I think in 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 CONAV situations, um, it's really easy to see the world in a certain way and not be flexible. And in racing with Joel, what I found is he, he's, he's moving in a direction. And if I call out, hey, Joel, let's take a quick look. I can show him how I'm seeing the world and he'll very quickly transition and it will allow us to, to, go, to go in the right direction. And I, I think that that's vice versa. I may not be quite as good at that as Joel is, um, but it just felt really humble. And, and then the, the other thing I'd add is our roles were very fluid. Everyone on the team, from my perspective, was asking the question, what can I do to help the team move forward? And everybody was consistently doing that thing. And a lot of times it wasn't visible, right? But I knew it was happening. And that encouraged me as a, as a new member to step in line and start asking that question and to do what was necessary to help the team move forward. Right. Because this is as part of a new eraser, this was in, on the, this was somewhat of a tryout for you, right? If this, if this, say this, say this disintegrated, say you couldn't keep up on the hills and you couldn't you nav know, well and say that you got into it, it would clearly show that Rootstock was going to struggle with you as a new member. That didn't happen out there. So as a result, it was you feel really good on the, on the experience and, and kudos to you with, with Karen and Joel knowing each other for a while, their dynamic is a bit different than yours. And so we talk a lot about team and how teams work together. And that's a nice thing for listeners to hear that a newer team member had the humility and the, and the communication skills to fit right in there with everybody. Very good. Joel, what do you think? Yeah, I was going to say that our communication, I, I felt was very great, both prior to the race and during the race. We, uh, in Rootstock in general, I think we always send out the emails uh, the month and the week leading up to it. We all talk about what we can, what who's going to bring what, what our strategy should be, what the leg breakdown is, what we can do to maybe eke out some of these edges before we even see the maps. And um, I feel so much of Adventure Race comes down to preparation before it, how you pack packing light but not too much having your food right having the experience from years of what to bring and how to pack and what the how to pace yourself and then obviously the navigational skills and all those things but just our, our communication within um the, the three of us during the race as well as far as like hey this is how i feel this is what i think we should speed up here we should slow down here and uh, we were all very open and accepting and communicative even uh, in the highs and lows and, and i think that really goes to to speak for our team that, that these are things that you can do that you don't have to take your hands off the bike to talk to each other or stop paddling. These are, are easy things to do. Talk about the transitions before you get there. Make sure you have the punch before you leave the transition. Make sure you did punch. Make sure you changed all the gear and the shoes and you have all the mandatory gear. All these little tiny nuances that can happen through communication are very important. 
aside from standing on the trail and looking at the map for a moment to pick a decision to go, how often did you stop during the really during the race or how much was it relentless forward motion? I, I think that's something like Paul said earlier about the transitions that teams overlook and, and we do a good job of, we try to always be on the move, transition as fast as you can. Even you can eat on the walk, you can eat on the bike, you can eat on the paddle, but just get out in the water and start floating, start those wheels rolling, get walking, do all these things on the move. And, you know, one person's running down to, to punch the checkpoint and the other people are studying the map. As soon as that person's back up, you're on the move. You feel bad, you're still moving. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I, I think there's very little downtime. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, Joel tried to take that to an extreme and uh, using his experience paddling the Mississippi pee out of the back of the canoe while we were underway. <laughs> I don't think it worked, but then we, we had a, a, a team pee that I hope untamed New England or I, it was Vert that was coming up behind us, didn't get an eyeful for, but um, it was a really efficient team P even. So there, there's nothing that really stops this team. So that, that's a high level of coordination that you have your urinary tracks all aligned together. So we're, we're proud of you. I'm sure that was a, that was a Brent Navi requirement to join the team. Can you pee in unison? So good job, Paul. Glad you passed that one. Um, so Karen, what do you think about all this? I think that the hardest time to be a good teammate is when you're feeling terrible and at some point all of us were and I think the ability to continue on and be a good teammate no matter how horrible you're feeling is what impresses me most about Rootstock. Um, we had Paul singing in the middle of the night when he was in a calorie deficit and wasn't feeling well. We were pointing out wildflowers. Um, Joel might have smacked me on the head with his paddle because he didn't like my singing um, but I'll forgive him for that one this time. But overall, in addition to constant moving forward, we're out there looking for ways to make it fun. You know, at the end of the day, we're all doing this as something we enjoy and have a passion for. And while it's not fun in a lot of ways, working with your teammates can make it fun. And if I was out there racing and feeling like I did at certain points by myself, that would have been miserable. But knowing that Joel was constantly motivating us to move forward, to keep going, to push us a little bit, knowing that Paul had my back, was always asking what he could do to help me, despite the fact that he was probably feeling worse than I was at various times. You know, it was just such a great team dynamic there. It really made it a great experience. Yeah, feeling alone in a group is incredibly corrosive to a, to a team experience because you have that sense of isolation. You layer on top of that a calorie deficit, some fatigue, and then the team just splinters and goes in all these different directions. And so credit to, to all of you for, for noticing that. For, for overnight races, very often the time between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. Is the, is the most difficult time, right? Because by two o'clock, it's been dark for quite a while and you're still three and a half, four hours from daylight. And we all know that as soon as the daylight comes, moods change, right? Natural light does a lot to bring us back. What was your two to five a.m. strategy? Did you did you get quiet with each other in a good way? Did you not speak to each other? Did you sing to each other? Did you stop and get a quick bite to eat? Like, what did you do to manage that? Because that's where teams overwhelmingly that's where races disintegrate is that overnight area. I think that's something that that comes with experience, and the more twenty four hour races you do, the the better you become at preparing for that inevitable low during the night. I remember during my first race begging my teammate to lay down and sleep in the wet gravel on the side of the road, just, just five minutes, like, please, I just need to close my eyes. And now, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but I, I don't even feel the, the sleep anymore for how many years now. You just, I think as you become more competitive too, you're a little bit more uh, like driven through those times, you know, there's people come behind you, you know, you're pushing, you're working a little harder. Um, and then also strategies as far as like eating things to stay awake and caffeine and doing all those things at the, the proper times and working with your teammates to get through those low times uh, is something that, that for a 24 hour race, I think we manage very well. It sounds like so much went well. What didn't go well? Besides the mechanically in the beginning where, where Karen needed to have her bolt fixed, which took two minutes, right? Credit to the mechanic, to the teammates on that. We look back at the Delta. What's the thing that you want to work on for the next race? Or because you won, there really isn't something you can identify, but there's always some place to improve. Yeah, my nutrition strategy was broken. I needed to switch to liquid nutrition um, much sooner. 
And I think Joel said nine hours. I think I was feeling nauseous for about 15. Uh, so that, that, is a, that is a clear miss. I was much weaker and I, I couldn't help the team as much as I wanted to. Uh, and it was it, it, in reflection, it all comes down to it. During that I, hot, long bike leg, I needed to just be drinking calories. I was speaking to a racer from a different team and it was his first time racing with, with some faster teammates. And what really threw him off was the idea that he was expected to eat on the run, that he was used to stopping and eating. And then all of a sudden it was his teammates were packing up and getting out of transition and he still had his food in his hand and he was kind of like catching up with them. And that's a hard skill to put together. So to your point, switching to liquid is, is the way to go right there. Okay. So nutrition did also did part of the dynamic have to be this aside from the heat, was it the speed at which you were moving that you had a tough time digesting the food going that quickly? Or was that just no matter what speed you were going, it was going to be digestion issues? Yeah, for me, I, I normally do gut training. Um, leading up to races, generally five to seven weeks before a race like this, I'll start incorporating more carbohydrate load than I would normally. And because of the bum knee, I, I've basically just been doing PT for two months and I wasn't doing any long training and wasn't doing any gut training. So I, I think normally that the pace would have felt fine, uh, that the heat would have still been a challenge, but the pace would have been fine. Uh, it's because I hadn't been training at all that it just hit me like a ton it just of caught up with you. Yeah, it was just a, it was just a it was a it was a bio issue. It was just your physiology just wasn't caught up to it, and therefore those things came together. Well, good for you hanging in there through that. Um, what else? Paul identified nutrition. Karen, Joel, what what's your what's your gap there? What do you want to work out for the next race? Um, I think we ran a pretty good race. Like Paul said, we kind of lucked into three checkpoints. Our, our navigation could have been a little bit more dialed in um, and not necessarily that we, we you know, everyone's going to bobble a little thing here and there. We maybe lost like 20 minutes total for a 24 hour race navigationally, I'd say. That's hard to, it's hard to write that off. So yeah. um, we could, could clean that up a little bit. I think our, our overall strategy and um, navigationally and preparation wise went, went quite well. Um, so I'm not sure I would have changed too much in there, maybe a little bit less uh, knee injuries and a little bit more training going into it. But during the actual race, I think we, we prepared and performed well during this one. Right. And it's a tough question for me to ask because you won the race, <laughs> right? If you came in last, it'd be kind of like what you could tick off five or 10 things that you wish you were different. You had nailed those things across the way. Karen, what do you think? I think that even though we overall had a clean race, like we have said a couple of times, we weren't necessarily moving super fast at any given time, minus that end bike race, uh, bike leg. So for me personally, I had decided this year to work a lot more on biking. Usually in a 24 hour race, you're gonna expect about 60 miles of biking. So I was quite just, quite surprised to see that this race had far less biking than a usual 24 hour and that it had a lot more focus on footwork. And usually I'm very confident on foot portions of races. That's my forte. Uh, but going into this, seeing the numbers in the, the pre-race handouts, I, I got a little bit nervous about just how long we were gonna be on foot. And so starting off, I think a couple of times I slowed us down because I was worried about that. But in retrospect, maybe we could have pushed a little bit harder. I'm not so sure. Tell me ask about the, the foot care is, is, a, is a clutch thing for people. Foot care strategy. Do you put something on your feet, socks and, and lube on your feet before the race? Or do you walk in just, does everybody use foot lube going into the race? Yeah, I use gurney goo and that's been working great for me. So I, I'm really puzzled as to why I got a hot spot so early on in the race. I was feeling it on the first leg and you, that's just so atypical. Did you fall into the trap of thinking to yourself, is it really happening? Am I imagining it? Because I do that, yeah, like early in the race, I'm like, that. yeah, this isn't really happening. This is this is this is going to pass in a second, and then next thing you know, you're you're falling apart. Exactly. Joel, Joel, what do you think? Uh, I've been very fortunate. I have uh, have great feet, and I've done a lot of uh, running and and stuff leading up to it for years, and and some through hikes and stuff. And I think my feet have just built up tough enough that 24 hours, um, nine out of ten times, I have no problem. Yeah, and, I, and I've seen that time and time again is is very often people who don't have foot problems is because they have, they have enough time on their feet that they've weathered their feet enough that what would have shattered them years earlier, they've just moved beyond that. Right. Very good. 
Paul, how about your foot care? Yeah, similar place to Joel. Um, I've spent a couple hundred nights guiding, uh, backpacking, canoe trips where my feet are wet and cold. Uh, so that that's definitely put some miles into them. Uh, I use Hike Goo as my product. I like that it's pretty viscous and it stays in place. Uh, and then I also have switched to toe socks to create a little more separation because I always get blisters between my toe if I don't do that. I, I used to make fun of my wife for wearing toe socks and made her get rid of a pair. And now I have to eat that humble pie. Nice. I, we always encourage newer racers to to be kind to their feet along the way and to keep their feet, you know, eventually you do get used to it, but it's tough to be in wet socks for that long and things dry out over time. Joel, what do you think? I just wanted to backtrack to a comment Karen made before about me hitting her in the head with a paddle while she was singing, <laughs> just to defend myself. Uh, I was in the back steering the boat, and I've spent the last several years training with a canoe paddle, and I switched to a kayak paddle in this. So I was making a steering stroke. She just happened to be singing when I bopped her in the head with the uh, the top of my paddle, which I usually don't have the top of the paddle. Right. Which, which, which leads us to think that perhaps her next race, Karen will wear a, a helmet. For the for the for the portion, very nice. Very nice. Well, after the after the three of you coordinated going to the bathroom at the same time, it could have been far worse in the back of the boat. So let's keep that in mind too. So glad it was only a shot to the head. Um, always with the newer racer in mind, and always with wanting people to enjoy adventure racing. It sounds like you had a great time during the race. It sounds like as you as you debrief and you talk about it now, that your continued success during the race, the finding of the checkpoints you're carrying of each other's gear that you checked off a lot of those boxes that we encourage teammates to do along the ways. What do you think was the most vital part of that formula that really carried you through the race? Was it nav, nutrition, teammates, pack sharing? What would you circle in on is, or is it just a, a potpourri? Is it a combination of those factors? Yeah, I think the more races I do, the the more I realize that it's a jack of all trades. You have to be skilled at all of those factors, and organization is huge to have your your like I said before, your pack packed properly and efficiently, and with all the things that you're going to need. But you're not packing for every what if. Uh, having dialed in navigation, if you're moving in the wrong direction, it doesn't matter how fast you're going. Right. <laughs> Even going faster is a, a problem if you go in the wrong direction. So to have the, the teamwork, the communication, the navigation, the organization, all of these things combined really uh, lead to, to positive outcomes. Well, all, all the pieces matter. Paul. I think the other thing I'd add for the new racer is thinking about what your team and what your individual strengths are and setting your race strategy to reflect that. So we knew we weren't gonna be the fastest team in a foot race. So we didn't try to do that. And had we, we would have blown up very quickly. Well, you didn't fall into the trap of looking down the river, seeing Untamed, which is a strong team, right? You had Nikki Driscoll, Dave Lamb, and Jeff Woods on that team, and say to yourself, we have to catch them right away. In, in bicycle racing, there's an expression that you can't win the race in the first mile, but you could lose it. Right. And you didn't go at them and you didn't let them get in your head a little bit. Was there any time there was a rumor on the course at one point as we were passing through the TAs, we kept on checking on how everybody was doing because there were so many teams up front and it was a great, great group of, of, of racers to root for. At one point, we were told that the that the three top teams who at that point were untamed, vert and rootstock at that point in the race that you were all within 10 minutes of each other. And we thought that was just so exciting and enthralling that the race could actually come down to a foot race. And it sounds like it did. Was there a lot of cross to like at, at night? Did you see their headlights, their headlamps in front of you on the on the trail at all? Or were you just by yourself out there? Or were there so many teams around that you didn't know who was who? I think the, the first three legs were pretty linear. There wasn't much route decision there. So we had a good understanding of where we were. And then leg four, the big trek, we started it. And as we were going into transition, Untamed was leaving. And then everybody kind of split up. So we didn't really know what was happening. We saw Vert, we were at some of the same points with Vert at the same time. We kind of did a little, our own thing between seven, eight and nine. And we saw Spangler, we saw Untamed, we saw one or two of the other teams there. And uh, surprisingly, we saw Untamed there. And, and we kind of said like, they should be further along or maybe they got checkpoint one first and we were saving it for the end. So we, we weren't really sure what happened there. And then Vert went up the spur to checkpoint nine. We went to eight, seven, nine. 
um, and did that a little backwards. So we were just hypothetically saying when we out and backed nine and got back to seven, was our out and back along the ridge faster than their down and up to eight? Are we in front? Are we behind? And we had no idea the rest of that checkpoint for or that that leg for several hours um, until we got back to transition and we and we discovered that we were ahead of them. But then at the same time, Odyssey had overtaken us at that point. We had no idea. We knew they were close. Uh, Strong Machine was also pretty close out there. And um, and then in that final trek we just kind of did our own thing that final bike we were hauling odyssey was right on us that whole time every time we went into a checkpoint and we're coming back out they were there going in and they pushed us and pushed us and we flew through that we later learned that they skipped a checkpoint on section four so we weren't actually racing with them but they pushed us to clear it as fast as we did and coming out of that bike we cleared the last checkpoint we were kind of like celebrating at that point. It was just a little like victory lap, two miles down to the to finish. And as we were dropping down to the road, we saw Untamed and we said, oh shoot, did they get ahead of us at some point? And we sprinted yeah. and we didn't catch them, but they still beat us by a minute. Uh, and, and luckily they had taken a chance and they skipped one checkpoint. They didn't have time to, to clear that final bike. So they skipped one thinking that could be the check the the strategy and we would go uh we would kind of overbook ourselves and not make it back in time uh, and luckily we did we cleared it with a, a half hour to spare but yeah we we were pushing hard at the end there and uh, had kind of a sense of where we we were sitting but it was also like holy cow these guys are closer than we expected which is not completely uncommon at the end of a 24 hours have that many teams that close together at the end of a race and to be separated so much is, was 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 great to watch. It was great to, to hear about and see what would happen. Karen. Also, when we did come in from the fourth leg and the volunteer said that he didn't think that any other team of three or four had come through. So we weren't really positive at that point. Um, he said that a couple of teams had come by and they, and they weren't really certain. So for me, the entire race, I just had to keep telling myself, race your own race. We don't know if Vert and Untamed are ahead of us or not. And I was joking with Paul as we were coming into the finish line. I was like, well, maybe we got first place. Maybe we got third place. Maybe we got fourth place. Like, I really personally didn't know. And I didn't want to make that assumption um, either way. I just wanted to focus on us and what we were doing well. And that's the and that's the, the big message there, too, is that unlike other sports in which there's scoreboards and there's standings along the way, you never really know where you are the entire time. And like Odyssey, for example, that had dropped the point earlier in the race, which had knocked them behind you, because remember, points always beat time. If you had known that, that might have adjusted your strategy. But you didn't know that, you just kept roaring along. Yes, Paul. Yeah, I want to give a big shout out to the Adventure Enablers crew. Um, it was fun to race. It was, it sounds like, Brian, it was fun for you to kind mm -hmm. of hear about the race in the race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was also fun for the spectators that were dot watching. Yeah. Uh, they did such a good job providing commentary, explaining what was going on. Uh, this was the first adventure race I ever got home. And my wife was excited to talk with me about it because she watched most of the race. Yeah. So huge shout out. They did an excellent job. They really raised the bar for uh, opening up this sport to, to spectating in a meaningful way. And, and to that point, and it was Glenn Gibson and the other gentleman's name escapes me and I apologize. They did a great job doing it at home. Um, to the point where I think personally, I think that it's a model that other race directors should follow. Now, Glenn and his partner know that race course very well. They know adventure. So they brought a lot of local knowledge to it. But um, it was almost to the point where it was when you watched the feed when you got home, it was live updates, mid races that were going along. And of course, to their credit, Mark Harris with his with his tracking technology was spot on. Um, so there's a lot of factors that went well. So I do agree with you. And and um, and for an early season race, a really nice turnout, really strong result. Um, great to see. You know, I want to give a shout out to Team Vert. You know, Team Vert was 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 uh, Alyssa Gadeski, Matt Samansky, and Jim Mernon. Their first time racing together as three people. Matt and Alyssa are newer to adventure racing. They had won um, a couple of races earlier on as a pair. They brought Jim on board. They were fourth place. They were hot on the heels. I mean, they were right there. A couple differences here or there makes a big difference, right? And so it's good to see the sport being so competitive and people getting so active and so involved early in the season. Um, so good. So you're, you're on the podium, you're covered in champagne and glitter covered in victory. What's next for rootstock racing? 
what's what's coming down the road? Are you, are you now racing team configuration is dependent upon who's free, who's not free, racing things like that. Do the three of you have plans to race together? Is there another combination of rootstock? What do you have going on? I think next we have the longest day. Um, Joel and I will be racing, and I believe Brent will be racing with us. Um, so I'm super excited. My first race with rootstock was Shenandoah Epic 2018. Um, and I got to race a friend of that time. So it'll be pretty fun for the three of us to race again together. And I got to say, Joel was probably our MVP of this race. He just carried us the whole way in terms of navigation, just great attitude, always trying to move forward. Um, he, so he only hit you once. To be racing. He only struck you once in the head. I mean, it's a victory. Only once, yeah. Yes. You know. Yeah, let me, let me, I witnessed that and it was all with love. It was all with love. It's purely <laughs> accidental. So no, no concern out there. And yeah, let me echo, Joel is definitely the MVP and he wouldn't claim it, but he was also our, our clear captain. Um, there weren't many roles that were clear. We didn't really talk about who's going to be the rabbit, who's going to be the mule. Um, we didn't talk about who was going to captain, but, but Joel served us so well in that role. So Joel, thank you. Um, thank you for setting the bar far high and I definitely continue to learn from racing with you. Um, so thank you for, for serving us. Ooh, I felt like the dog missed that race. Karen was the one pulling us up the hills, carrying all our gear and, and Paul saved us maybe twice, but there was one huge navigation. I was looking back through the, um, the tracker logs uh, the last day or two and I saw untamed, unfortunately was going for checkpoint 11, this monster climb up to a, a checkpoint off trail and they went up the wrong spur and then they went for the the point on the correct spur and missed it so that's why we ended up seeing them where we did they had had a little navigation error there and i was making the same error and we were about to leave the re-entrant and, and i was going to hike us up that wrong spur just the same as they did and paul said no it's this this spur and i was like no i'm pretty sure it's this one and he said nope let's go this way i said okay let's go that way and and sure enough he nailed it and, and that probably saved us the the victory right there so well, kudos it, to, to both of them on on their race it, it's amazing you could probably find when you think about it there's probably uncountable crux points during the race that saved the race because it was so close right it was the the ability to fix Karen's shoes so quickly, right? The fact that you were smart in transition and you kept going. The fact that Paul helped you with that possible nav bobble. The fact that, you know, Karen on the mountain bike, as you shared, that was tough during, you know, seven. There was all those little, all the, like they say in the TV show, The Wire, all the pieces matter and it all sort of came together. Um, I will mention that we're, we're excited to have you at the longest day. Um, I'm involved with Naira, New York Adventure Racing Association. To Naira's credit, we uh, we had a, a last minute switch in venue. We had a permitting issue in the original course for the longest day. Um, I've seen the, the new course and it is outstanding, a true 24-hour dedicated course. So we're excited to have you there in May. Glad that rootstock is going to come for that. Uh, once again, in USA, you're from USARA, a regional championship, right? So you've, you've punched your ticket to California, the three of you, so congratulations. Are you going to make it the Nationals or is it too far out to decide if you can make the trip out West or not come this fall? Yes, we were actually just uh, texting with Brent today about that, and it sounds like uh, it sounds like we we're going to have at least one team and probably two teams, and uh, it sounds like we're all going to be there if we can be. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, that's going to be a great race, and, and and it's good to see that USARA is bringing and under Garrison's leadership is bringing nationals out west. Um, I have Katie Farrington, um, who's out of uh, Colorado. She's going to come on the show later on that this week. I have her coming on. We'll have a chance, to, and that's a future podcast that'll come out. Talk about the race scene out west. We try very hard not to have the dark zone be too east coast centric, but that happens though because you talk with who you race with. Any closing thoughts before we say goodbye to Rootstock? I'd love to thank my teammates. They did an awesome job, and they they carried me through. We all carried each other through, and uh, thanks for doing it again. Uh, Brian, I'd like to thank you for having this podcast and for having us on it today. Um, I know I personally was listening to your podcast on the way down to the race, and it's always a great source of motivation for me and, you know, picking up new tips all the time. Um, so I always enjoy from the novice racers to the more experienced racers, everybody that you've had on this podcast has been really great to listen to. Thank you. I, I enjoy it. It's, it's the it's great to talk to so many fascinating people and, and I appreciate the feedback. It was very nice during the race to hear 
the team name was Dark Zone Podcast. It was nice to hear during the race, people commenting on how much they enjoy it. Um, the Dark Zone will always remain free to the world, right? There'll never be a charge for this content. We enjoy the fact that racers just enjoy it. So from everybody at Dark Zone headquarters, thank you for that, Karen. Paul. Yeah, I think I think it was actually listening to a Dark Zone episode, one of the early ones that somebody was talking about uh, having a cleat bolt. So I, I've got to give credit where credit is due. It was this podcast that taught me that that could come in handy. So thank you, Brian. Thank you. Um, so the other I'll, thing I'll, I'll take a portion of the, of the credit and the victory. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send you, we'll send you some of the prize money. All right. Count me in. Yep. The, the other thing I want to say is I study groups and leadership for a living. That's my, my job. And I was telling my colleagues uh, the last couple of days that adventure racing really is one of the best opportunities to learn teamwork. Uh, there, there's no experience that I've seen within the profession that uh, catalyzes what is necessary to learn the art of teamwork so quickly uh, and so clearly. You can't ignore when it's not working and it's really easy to celebrate when it is. So thank you, Karen. Thank you, Joel, for continuing to teach me and uh, model the way. This was an excellent experience. And on that note, Rootstock, congratulations on the victory. Thanks for joining us on the Dark Zone. Everybody out there, be safe and have fun. Thanks for listening.